Psalm 141. Go ahead and stand, and we're going to read this. I'm going to read this, and then you're actually going to read part of it, okay? So get ready for that. Active participation today. Psalm 141, and we're going to read verses 1 through 5. Here we go. O Lord, I call upon you. Hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Now, our verse is this one. Ready? This is our verse for today. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. All right, now let's think about what he's saying there. So you've probably seen a guard before, right? Maybe at a bank you went to, or maybe you've been to a government facility, and there's a guard. Maybe you've been to a military facility. Maybe you've been to the tomb of the unknown soldier. That's what I think of, those guys guarding that tomb. So you got a guard there, right? And, and, and the psalmist is saying, God, I'm praying, set a guard, O Lord. Over my mouth, right? There's a guard with a billy club. That's the way I picture it. And he's got that trained on my mouth. He's waiting, you know? And then the next part of the verse, what's he doing? Keep watch over the door of my lips. So that guard, he's watching my lips. He's watching for the wrong things to come out of there. And that's when he's going to take action, right? Okay, so, so let's say this again. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. One more time. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Very good, very good. All right, I'm going to read the rest of the psalm. Do not let my heart incline to any evil, to busy myself with wicked deeds in company with men who work iniquity, and let me not eat of their delicacies. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let, not, let my head not refuse it. Yet my prayer is continually against their evil deeds. Let's pray together. Father, we ask you to do just what this psalm does. Father, we, we come to you and we praise you as our God. We praise you as our King. We praise you as the one who's the lifter of our head and, and the one who has the power to keep us from sin. And so, Father, we pray that you would set a guard over our mouth. Lord God, I, we ask you to keep watch over the door of our lips and, God, to keep us from sinning with our words. Father, we ask you to turn our hearts, God, away from sin. God, I pray that they'd not be inclined toward sin, but they, they would be inclined toward righteousness. We pray, Father, that you would give us a, an appetite for spiritual things. God, don't, don't let us hunger for the things of the world. And Father, we pray that you would make us the kind of people who can receive a rebuke. God, make us the kind of people who are in Christ-centered relationships where, where people are speaking truth into our lives. And God, keep us from being proud or arrogant or being too, uh, too obstinate to receive a word spoken in, in kindness from somebody. Father, do these things in us. We pray it by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Okay, so this is a prayer, okay? As many of the Psalms are, it is a prayer. And in, in this prayer, David is, is saying he is organizing his prayer as a sacrifice to God, which, which is interesting because I think a lot of times when we think of a prayer time, we sit down and, and we're like, okay, I'm going to spend some time praying. And like, you know, okay, we're, our mind goes here, our mind goes there. You know, it's kind of scattered. David's not doing that at all. David has thought through, this is what I need from God. And I, and I am lifting my, I'm drawing near to him, and he's drawing near to me. And I'm saying, God, would you, would you give me these things? Okay? Now, David essentially asked for a couple things. And when you read the context of, of, the, of the passage, it makes sense because David is being attacked. All right? When you look at verse 8 of your text, 
He says, uh, my eyes are toward you, O God, my Lord, in you I seek refuge. Leave me not defenseless. He's saying, God, don't, don't leave me. If you, if you don't protect me, I'll be defenseless. In verse 9, he says, keep me from the trap that they've laid for me, from the snares of the evildoers. So he's got people that are setting traps for him. You got anybody setting traps for you? You got anybody that hates you, doesn't like you, wants to take you down? David did. He had people that were actually setting traps for him, people that were setting snares. He, he needed someone to defend him. And so part of this psalm is praying, God, would you defend me from these evil people? That's not the part we're going to look at. The part we're going to look at is, I think, even more important. David prays, God, would you protect me? Would you defend me from my own sin? You see that? Two things he prays for protection over. He says, God, don't, don't let me sin and, 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 and stop these people that are attacking me. Now, the interesting thing about that is, I really believe we are in more danger from our own sin than anybody else. Okay? I, I believe that wholeheartedly. I, I believe that I, I, there is more misery that will come upon my life from my own dumb sin than there is from other people attacking me. You know, and David knows that. David knows that. In fact, I would say those two work together. You know, David knows that he's got these people that are attacking him. And so when people are attacking you, when you're being slandered, when, you, when, you're, when people are making your life hard, you know what you're really tempted to do? Sin, right? You're, you're tempted to sin in your heart. You're tempted to say things you shouldn't say. You're tempted to surround yourself with people that are not going to say the right things to you, but they're going to support your, your, your bent heart. You're, you're tempted to take revenge, and so David knows that, and so he is praying for protection, okay? Protection from his enemies, but what we're going to talk about today is protection from my own sin. Now, when you think about protection, so when you think about, okay, if, if, if I'm going to be protected from my enemies, think about this, about your house, okay? Now, everybody's got a little different level of protection, but let's go to the maximum, okay? Some folks, and I've, I've, I've been, especially in other countries, this is the case. Some folks, they start their protection way out in front of their house with a wall and a gate. Have you ever seen that? Especially in third world countries. Sometimes they'll put glass and barbed wire at the top, you know. So, so they, they start way out there. They put a wall around their home to, to protect themselves from the enemy. But then they don't stop there. They have another layer. They, they, they have doors that lock, right? Many of you probably have those, right? But, but a lot of people don't stop with that. A lot of people have security systems. Man, that's, that's really popular now. I, I hate them myself because I come to your house and I ring your doorbell and that camera hits your, your phone so you know who it is and you're like, shh, be quiet. He'll go away, you know? Nobody ever comes to the door. I, I can see the TV's on in there, you know? Come on. But anyway, a lot of you have the security system, right? So you got a wall, then you got doors, then you got a security system. A lot of you don't stop there, but all your valuables you've got in that big hunting safe we talked about, right? It's got the combination and the, the thumbprint and the ideal, and you know, you you got all your stuff there. A lot of you don't stop there, but you go to bed at night and right at your nightstand, you pull it out, you got your Kleenexes there and your book you've been reading and your 44s in the you know deal, right? So a lot of you have multiple layers of protection, okay? Now, David is doing the same thing with his heart, with his sin, okay? He's saying, God, protect me from sin. But he doesn't just have one layer of protection. He, he, is, he is asking God to protect him at the heart layer and at the, at the, at the words and, and, and with his deeds and, and even, even, even with his friends, 
All right. So there's there's a multi-layer protection here. Now we're going to start uh, with the heart. OK, so as we talk about the different layers that he prays for protection from his sin here, we're, we're, we're not going to follow exactly the order that he puts them in, because here's what I want to do. I want to start from the inside and work out. OK, so that's the way I want to handle this. So the first thing that he prays for is protection over his own heart. Now, in the Bible, when you, when you hear the word heart, when he says in verse 4, do not let my heart incline to any evil. He's really not talking about, a lot of times we think of hearts in America. We think of Valentine's Day. We think of our emotions, right, feelings. In the Bible, your heart is the control center of your, your life, okay? It, it's the center of your will. It's the center of your, 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 your thinking, your valuing, your loving, all right? And here's what Jesus said about the heart. He said in Matthew 15, 19, he said, Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, slander. So in other words, Jesus picks all these sins, and he says, Do you know where that sin started? It started in your heart. You know, he picks slander. Where did, where did slander start? It doesn't start in your mouth. It starts in your heart, right? Your heart gets inclined in the wrong direction. It gets inclined to sin. And, and it wants to sin. And then it comes out. It aggressively, here, here's the thing about the heart. Whatever's in your heart, if it's sin, it's going to aggressively work its way out. Through your, your words, through your, your deeds, through your attitude. It will eventually work itself out in sin. Okay? And so... Here's the thing. Don't think that if your heart is bad, you're, gonna, you're just going to keep yourself from sinning by, by self-control. You ever do that? You ever have a bad heart? Like you're prideful, you're selfish, you're angry in your heart, and you think to yourself, well, I'm not going to say anything. Here's the reality. You will say something. Eventually, right? If you don't fix that problem in your heart, it's eventually going to come out. You may have the self-control not to say anything for an hour or two hours or maybe a day or a couple of days. I don't know, depending on your self-control level. But here's what Jesus said. What is in the heart is going to come out. It's going to come out. It's going to flow out. Okay. In, in fact, Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of your life. All right? So, so if you picture your heart as, as a fountain, all right, it, it, it's, it's, it's what the rest of your life is going to flow out of. And so David knows that if he's not going to sin, and he desperately doesn't want to sin, he knows that he's got to deal with the inclination of his heart. I hope you're here this morning, and you don't want to sin. I hope you're here this morning, and you realize that, that sin will ruin your life. Sin brings you to misery. Sin dishonors God. Sin brings death and hell and judgment. And I hope you're here today and you don't want to sin. And if you are, then, then I think you're going you're gonna to pray what David prays here in verse four, four, 4. He says, Do not let my heart incline to any evil. The word inclined is an interesting word. It means to bend, to stretch, to lean. Okay, so it's the picture of a heart that gets out of whack. You know, your, your heart ever bent toward anger? Your heart ever bent toward selfishness? Has it ever been toward discouragement, right? And, and your heart's just kind of out of whack. And, and, and so he's saying, God, would you bend that back? Really, when your heart leans a certain direction, it's really positioning itself to sin. It's getting ready to sin. That's, that's what's happening there. Our little dog, our little dog knows she's not supposed to eat food from the table, off the table, from the table. She's not, she knows she's not supposed to eat the kids' food, okay? But you know what she does? 
She's not interested in anything but the couch and a blanket and someone to sit by all day long until we eat. And when we eat, you know where she wants to be? No, right under Colt's chair. She didn't care anything about the rest of us. She wants to be, uh, and, and she doesn't. She doesn't care. She's scared to death of cold, actually. You know, but she wants to be. Right. You know what does she do? She's positioning herself to do what she's not supposed to do. Okay. Now, if you're going to battle sin at the heart level, you got to be honest. Okay. This is the biggest problem. Is a lot of times we're not honest with our own heart. We're not honest about our heart. You know, if, if you position yourself at your desk at work so you got a clear view of an attractive woman in the next office, your heart is inclined to evil. But do you know how easy it is to justify that? Well, I'm, I'm sitting here because it's the coolest part of the room. I'm sitting here because it's close to the fax machine. I'm sitting here because this is where my chair was. But what's going on in your heart? If you find yourself bringing up certain topics of conversation. So let's say you're visiting with your friend, and you're, you're bringing up this certain topic of conversation. You bring it up over and over again. You bring up different aspects of it. And really what's going on there is that you're wanting to say something bad about somebody. But you don't want to just come out and say it, you know? You don't want to just come to Bonnie's house and say, Hey, Bonnie, let me tell you something really mean and ugly about somebody. You don't want to do that because you're Christian, Right? But you know what happens if your heart gets out of whack? You start bringing up subject. Well, what about that? Did you hear about that one thing? I don't know nothing about it. What do you know? You know, have you heard it? Did you read that in the paper? You keep baiting and you keep baiting until all of a sudden Bonnie's like, well, what do you know about that? Well, she asked me, what else can I do but tell, you know? That's a heart problem. And so one of the first things you've got to do if you're going to deal with your heart is you've got to learn to be honest about your heart and you've got to want to begin to fight the battle at the heart. To fight it later, and we'll talk about this in a second, you still can, but the longer you wait, the harder and harder it gets to stop sin. You've got to fight it at the heart. What do you think people are talking about when they say, I woke up on the wrong side of the bed? Are they saying, is that what really happened? Like they went to sleep on the left and somehow they flipped over their spouse and now they're on the right? Is that what happened? You know, what, what, do, people, what do people talk about when they say, I got a short fuse today? Do they really have a shorter fuse? You know, I mean, is that, what, what happens there? What, what are people talking about when they say, I'm just in a bad mood? Have you ever asked, have you ever asked yourself that question? I'm in a bad, what does that actually mean? I was curious, so I Googled it, Okay. I spent a whole five minutes researching this, so I'm an expert, all right? So here's what the psychologists say. The psychologists say that a bad mood is something caused by ego depletion, okay? Ego depletion. Now, what ego depletion is, is when you have to exercise a bunch of self-control and a bunch of discipline and a bunch of other areas of your life, like, like with your boss at work or with clients or customers or, or your wife wants you to be on a diet or, you know, you didn't get, you know, and, and so you deplete your resources and it puts you in a bad mood. You don't have any, you don't have any self-control to stop your impulses, okay? Now, I totally agree that sin gets harder to fight when you're tired, when you're sick. Okay, I, I agree with all that. But can I tell you what I think a bad mood is? I think it's when your heart is inclined to sin. I think it's when your heart gets 
out of whack. And it's leaning toward selfishness. Or it's leaning toward self-pity. Or it's leaning toward pride. Or it's leaning toward laziness. It's leaning toward covetousness. I think that's what it is. Now again, I, I know there's other things that are a factor there. But, but, but I think what we've got to do is we've got to be honest about that. You know, if it were true that you don't have any choice but to sin if you're tired and exhausted and, and hurting. Let me tell you about a guy. This guy's name is Jesus. And he was up for numerous nights under the most incredible emotional strain and trauma that anybody can imagine. In fact, the Bible says he sweated drops of blood in the garden. And then he was arrested unjustly, completely unjustly. He was absolutely innocent of any crime and any sin his whole life. And yet he was taken by wicked men. He was, he was, he was forced to endure mock trials where he was lied about and slandered over and over and over again. And then he was whipped with the cat of nine tails for 39 lashes until he lost a significant amount of blood and they had peeled the flesh off of his back and his sides. And then he was taken, forced to carry his own cross in exhaustion until he finally collapsed. And then he was hung on the cross. If there were ever a man who's in a bad mood and would have a justification for sin, it would have been him. But you know what he did from the cross? He prayed, first of all, that God would forgive his persecutors because they didn't know what they were doing. He asked John to take care of his mother. He prayed for help from his father. He didn't sin. And so I guess I refuse to fall into the whole deal that these circumstances in my life make it, you know, that I have to do this. No, I, I, think, I think the thing is we got to watch our hearts. And so David is praying. He's praying, do not let my heart incline to any sin. So what do you do if you find your heart bending towards sin? Well, you got, you got to hammer that dude back in line. You, you hammer it back in line with Scripture, right? That, that's, that's why all that Scripture is in the Bible. So you wake up and you're just discouraged and depressed and in a bad mood. You know what you need to do? That means your heart is inclined the wrong way. And you need to start hammering on that dude the other way. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice in it and be glad. Rejoice. Again, I will say rejoice. Philippians 4, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He'll give you the desires of your heart. You begin to bend your heart back in line. You begin to grab onto the promises of God and the Word of God. And you do just what David did. You, say, you ask Him, God, my heart is not right today. God, would you bend it back in the right direction? Would you pull it back to center? David is calling on God to move his heart. And he wants to do it quick. Because he knows that the longer he leaves it, the harder it is to stop. So number one, first layer of protection, your heart. Okay, now the second layer, we're not going to spend much time on this. We're going to go quick. Your desires, okay? Notice this in verse 4. Do not let my heart incline to any evil, to busy myself with wicked deeds in company of men who work iniquity, and let me not eat of their delicacies. That's kind of a strange metaphor there. But what he's saying, the picture here, is you've got a bunch of wicked men. And the wicked men are all feasting. They're all satisfying themselves on these delicacies. Okay? And David is saying, God, don't let me want the things they want. Don't, don't let me love the things they love. Don't let me desire the things they desire. In other words, he's moving from his heart to the level of desires, to the level of your spiritual appetite. 
Now again, when your appetite is wrong, when you're wanting the wrong things and desiring the wrong things, what do you got to do? Well, you got you to fix that. That's what he's praying. God, don't let me desire the wrong things. Psalm 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Jesus said in Matthew 5 that we had a hunger and thirst for righteousness. How, how do you develop an appetite for the right things? It's the only thing I know how to tell you. You just, you got to eat them. You got to eat a bunch of them, right? Let's say you don't like vegetables, right? I'm using a physical illustration here. Let's say you don't like vegetables, but you know you need to like vegetables. What's the answer? Well, I'll tell you what's not the answer. The answer is not reading book on vegetables, okay? That's just not going to help you like them, right? The answer is not to make you some vegetable jewelry, you know, a little broccoli necklace and carry it around, admire it, and you know, pretty soon you'll be like, man, I want to eat that, you know? I don't think that's the answer either. You know what I think the answer is? I think the answer is you got to eat them, you know? You got to try them different ways. You, you got to try, scoop some butter on them, you know? Uh, fry them, saute them, boil them. I don't know. You, you got you to try them. And you know what maybe, maybe the most important thing, we'll talk about this in just a second, you got, you got to find some people that like them and eat them with them, you know? If you're eating vegetables while Fred's eating french fries, that's not going to be any good. But if you hang around some people that love vegetables, all right? You know what you're, you're, you know, and they're eating them and they like them. You're, you're, you're going to, you know what's going to happen? Your appetite is going to change. Your desires are going to change. So here, here's the thing. We need to change our appetite. So he starts at the heart level, right? God, incline my heart. Don't let it incline toward evil. Then he goes to the desires. God, don't let me love what they love. Don't let me desire what they desire. And now he goes, he goes out. This, this is the first one that God, he's stopping it right here. He goes to the mouth. Okay. Look at verse three. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. You know what? I think that might be our verse for today. Let's go ahead and say that together. All right? Here we go. Ready? Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. I wonder if we've got it memorized by now. Kenny, would you take that off the screen? Let's see what we got. No looking down at your Bibles. Let's give it a shot now. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Look at that. We already memorized the verse. We're done with today. We should add another one, all right? Okay, so good, good, all right? So David, that, now he's moving from the heart to the desires and now to the speech. Now, let me tell you a couple of things the Bible says about your words. First of all, and we've already kind of talked about this, but the Bible is clear that it comes from your heart, okay? It comes from your heart. So when you, when you find yourself saying bad things, what's that say? Your heart's not right. Your heart's not right. Now, let me tell you a very silly thing that I've heard from a bunch of silly people. They'll say something like this. Well, I've already, uh, it's already in my heart. I've already thought it, you know, and so God knows that. It's already a sin. I might as well say it. You ever heard anybody say that? You know, it's, I've already sinned. I might as well say it. No. You, you, know, you know what that betrays about you, if you say that? That betrays about you that you don't believe what the Bible says about sin. You don't believe it. You don't, you don't believe what it says. You don't believe that sin is so bad that Jesus would butcher it on a cross for it. You don't believe that sin will bring misery and death to your life. You see, David, David believes that. He's like, God, don't let me sin. Even if my heart is already wrong and I didn't stop it and it's coming out of my mouth, God, put a guard there and stop it because I don't want to sin. Because if I say it, it will be another sin added to the already sin and it will bring more misery on my life. It will maximize my own misery and it will spread to other people. When it comes out of your mouth, now, now you're hurting others. 
Listen, if you're here today and you just found out you got influenza A, don't, don't be like, well, I already got it. I might as well spread it around a little bit. Please don't do that. Don't do that. If you, are, if you got sin in your heart, don't, don't be like, well, I might as well. No, you, you ought to stop sin. You ought to pray what, what David prays here. God, don't let this come out of my mouth. My heart is not right. God, keep it from coming out. Minimize the consequences of my sin. God, help me get my heart right. James 3 tells us that The fastest way from your heart to the outside is through your mouth. And so sins of speech are going to be the hardest to contain. James 3, 2 says, We all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. James says it is difficult, difficult to manage your words. So what does David pray? David says, God, Put a guard over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Haven was going to bed last night, and so she came in. I was studying at the table, and she sat down on my lap, and I was going to pray for her. But before I did, I pulled up our memory work. I said, honey, look at, look at the verses we're going to memorize. I said, Let, let's talk about the first one. And I read this verse to her. And then I said to her, I said, honey, I said, say something bad. Say something sinful. You know? That's, you're thinking, this is bad parenting, right? I said, say something sinful. She just kind of smiled a little bit. Her mouth kind of opened and she smiled a little bit. And I popped her on the mouth real quick, you know. Not hard, just, just like a little one, you know. I was just teasing. She kind of smiled and I popped her again, you know. And, 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 and then we talked about, is that what God's going to do? Is he, is he actually going to set a guard? And, and, and before, you know, your heart's bad and he can see that. And he starts to see those words come out of your mouth. He's going to give you a little pop. And, and, and the more you try to say, he's going to pop harder and harder. You know, wouldn't that be great? You'd sin less, but you know what would happen? Many of you would come in today, and you're, you couldn't sing praises because your lips would all be swelled up like balloons, man. You'd have scabs all over them and blood coming down both sides. I mean, really, like, like it'd be a bad deal. Some of you would have no teeth, you know. They'd been knocked out long ago. So God doesn't do that. But, but metaphorically, what he does do is he gives us the Holy Spirit and he gives us his word to serve as a filter, right? So when he's praying, God, set a guard over my mouth, keep watch over my lips. He does that through the Spirit of God and through the Word of God. So let me give you one of the filters that Scripture gives us. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, Ephesians 4, 29, is a great filter for your mouth. This is one of the reasons you memorize Scripture is because this, this serves as how do I know what to let out and what to keep in? All right, here you go. Ephesians 4, 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Okay, let's stop right there. So don't, if, if, if something is corrupting, if something's going to make things worse, if it's going to make the situation worse, if it's gonna, that's what the word corrupting means, if it's unwholesome, if it's unholy, if it's unpure, then don't say it, all right? Filter goes even further. Only such as is good for building up. You should only say things that are going to make things better, that are going to make the situation better, that are going to give glory to God. They're going to spread his gospel and his word and magnify him and be a blessing and help somebody out. Those are the things that you should say. Another filter. Ready? I'm going through the passage here. As fits the occasion. What does that mean? It means sometimes there's things that should be said and there's things that they would build up the situation. It's not the right time. Do you, do you understand that 
It's not always the right time to say everything that's in your heart, even if it's good. There's just sometimes people can't receive it yet. They're not in the right state of mind. It's not the right situation. You don't need to say it yet. And then the last thing, that it may give grace to those who hear. In other words, your words ought to be an instrument of God's grace to bring blessing to others. Now, you know what's going to happen if you follow that, okay? So you put that filter on. Lord, set a guard over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. You do that. You know, you know what's automatically going to happen? You're going to say less things, first of all. Isn't that interesting? You're, you're, gonna, you're, just, you're automatically going to talk less because it's going to filter out that sinful stuff. And in fact, the Bible supports this. Proverbs 10, 19 says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. He's wise. Ecclesiastes 5, 2. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. James chapter 1 Verse 19 says, let every man be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to wrath. All right, and and so the Bible is telling us when you put that filter on, you're going to speak less. Now, the hard thing about that is everything in our culture is asking you to speak more. Some of you that have been around for a while, you realize that we're in something new right now. We're in something new. It, It wasn't always like this. But you know what happens now? People pull out their smartphone and they turn it on to check, see what's going on in the world. And right away, you know what happens on social media? There's a little, little cursor blinking there. And there's a little space and it says, what's going on today? What do you want to say? You know, what, what do you want to comment? In other words, it's inviting you to say things. Here's the deal. I don't need to say something about everything. I really don't. If you're around me very much, I don't talk about politics very much. You know why? Because I can't say anything that actually does any good. Like, if you just want to hear all the dumb stuff in my head, well, okay, do you have a couple hours? I, I, don't, I don't need to share that with you. I, I, I don't know that I want to hear all the stuff's in your head. Unless we can do something. In other words, take it through the filter. Let no unwholesome word perceive from your mouth. Only such a word is as good for that. Is what I'm going to say about it, is it going to build up the situation? As fits the occasion. Does it need to be said? That it may give grace to those who hear. Is, is, it, is it going to give grace? You're going to speak less. But here's the deal. What you do say is going to do so much more. I can't remember all the verses I gave you this week. They're all about words and anger. But I was, I was toying around with the one in Proverbs that says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. I know one that you are going to memorize is, I think it's Proverbs 12, 18. It says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You see, when you put that filter on, you're going to speak less, but you know what you are going to say? is really going to bless people. Your words have the potential to heal people. They have the potential to build people up. They have the potential to bring people the gospel. They have the pe- potential to save people from hell. I mean, your words are powerful. But only... When you've set a guard over your mouth and you're keeping watch over the door of your lips. All right, so what's David doing here? He prays, first of all, for his heart. Then he goes that next step for his desires. Lord, incline my heart, not to evil, but to you. Lord, keep my desires pure. Lord, set a guard over my mouth. And now he goes all the way out and he begins to talk about his friends. Now, why would he talk about his friends? Well, he's going to talk about the people that he's around because the people that are around you will either 
influence you to sin or influence you not to sin? I want the ones that are going to influence me not to sin, okay? Look, look, look at what David says here. He says in verse 4, Do not let my heart incline to any evil, to busy myself with wicked deeds, in company with men who work iniquity. Let me not eat their delicacies. He's saying, God, keep me away from people that are going to influence me to sin. Proverbs 13, 20 says, He who walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Why is it so important who your deepest friendships are with? It's so important because you know what it takes to develop a close friendship? It takes common experiences, common loves, common values, and a common mission. Now, if the people that you have your closest association with don't love God or value the things of God or run after the mission of God or experience the greatness of God, then they're going to pull you to what they do love and experience and are about. And so David says, keep me away from those. But here's, here's the really good thing. Verse 5. He says, but here's the kind of people he wants in his life. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. You hear that? Let him rebuke me. Verse 5. It's oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. Did you just hear what David prayed? David just prayed that he would have the kind of friends who would strike him. Now, does he mean that I want, I want the kind of guys who are going to punch me? I don't think so. I, I think he's talking about words. But, but I do think... I do want the kind of guys in my life that if, it, if, if it's got to be someone grabbing me by the shirt and shaking me to keep me out of sin, I think I want those guys as my friends. Okay, but, but what he's saying is, I, I want somebody, let, read it again, look at verse 5. Let a righteous man strike me, it is a kindness. Okay, David is saying to be confronted about your sin when it feels like you just got whacked by two before. He says, God, let me see that as a kindness. But do you guys see how badly this guy does not want to sin? He's dealing with it with his heart level, at his desire level, at his words level. And now he's going all the way out and he's saying, God, give me friends. Give me people in my life who, who will strike me. And then he says this, God, give me the heart to know that that is, that is kind. He, he says, look at verse 5. Let him rebuke me. It's oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. Oil in that day for your head, that was a gift. That was a privilege. That was an anointing. That was like perfume. Something that made you more attractive. And David's praying, God, don't let me refuse it. Don't let me be the kind of person who won't take that. Here's what I've found. If you can't look at your life and say, Oh, yeah, last week. My buddy, my buddy spoke truth to me, called me back into line. Yep, a couple months ago, I had a friend who rebuked me, you know, just said, hey, bud, you need to speak, speak more kindly to your wife. Or, you know, a couple years ago, I was really having a rough time. I was, I was man, in the dumps, and, and I had a, a buddy came over, and, man, he just sat and spoke truth to me and prayed for me and would not let me go until I, I got things right in my heart. If you don't have those people, one of two things. Number one, you're not plugged in. Okay? Now, you may, you may be saying, man, I'm here every week. That's different. You're not plugged in in Christ-centered relationships where you've got people that care about you enough and you've given them permission to speak truth to you. Number one. Or number two, 
You are in those relationships, but you're the kind of person. This is going to be hard. You're the kind of person that nobody can speak truth to. I'm telling you, if that's you, you, you need to give serious thought to your life today. Because, listen, that is a dangerous place to be. To be the kind of person that you don't... No, nobody speaks truth to you. You know why? Because you make it real clear that you're not allowing it. Nobody better talk about your life. Nobody better rebuke you. Nobody better speak a hard word. Maybe somebody tried. And you whacked them right back, you know? Maybe somebody said, hey, man, I, I love you. And have you ever thought about thinking about this? And you were like, well, who are you, you know? Here's what I know about you. You stand here and here and here and here and here and here. You know what the book of Proverbs would call you? A fool. You're a fool. I didn't call you that. Proverbs did, though. David is praying that he would not be a fool. That's essentially what he's praying. He's saying, God, would you, would you let me see that as a kindness? Would you let me see it as a gift? Would you change my heart? Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Okay, right now, we're going we're gonna to do just what David did. We're going to pray. So you bow your heads. And I'm just going to walk you through this, okay? I'm going to walk you through these different levels of prayer. These different levels of protection against sin. And as I do, I want, you, I want you to ask the Lord for what you need, okay? Father, we want to first of all deal with our hearts. God, if, if our hearts are inclined toward selfishness, if they're inclined toward sin, if they're inclined toward laziness or greed or discontent, God, I pray that you begin to move them back. God, I pray that you would use the words in today's text and in the scriptures and in our minds to just move our hearts back to center. Father, if we are desiring things we shouldn't desire, God, if, if we don't desire the things we ought to, if we, if we don't have a good appetite for spiritual things, God, I pray that you would give us a relentlessness to feed upon your word, feed upon your spirit, feed upon prayer so that we gain an appetite for the things of God. Father, we want to deal with our words. God, just right now, I just pray that a whole bunch of people in this room would be praying our verse. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. God, I just pray that you would stop us. God, stop us from saying things that are sinful. Saying things that hurt saying things that exalt ourselves, saying things that tear others down. God, just put a filter on our mouths, God, that we weed out all that and that we, we, we save our words for things that build up, for things that exalt you, things that advance the kingdom, things that help people, things that encourage people, things that strengthen our families. God, help us speak those words. Father, we pray for friendships God first of all God we just pray that we'd be the kind of person that will receive truth we we have we have somebody come and and speak truth at us and we see that as kindness we see that as a gift God please plug us in plug us into relationships that will keep us from sin Father we ask you to do these things 
We're confident it's your will. We see it in your word. And so we, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.